Okay, so we're going to start message uh, two, and what we're going to do, we're going to do just like we did with message one with a reading, all right, a scriptural public reading. And the reason we're doing that, you may not have understood why we did that. Um, the reason we're doing that is because, you know, like Josh said, we're, we're not that familiar, probably most of us, with the book Song of Songs in the Bible, uh, number one. And number two, it's poetry, right? So poetry is deep, it's thoughtful, it's expressive. And the thing about Song of Songs that you, you had to pick up from Josh's message is it's a love story, and it's my love story. It's our love story. This is our story, and it's depicted poetically in multiple stages, scenes, acts that has a narrative thrust and flow, and there's motion, there's movement, there's energy that builds. It's a romance. I mean, I don't want to say it's a rom-com, but, you know, you know you've guys heard of the book The Divine Comedy, right? It's not a funny book. It's called a comedy because historically, classically, tragedies start here and go here. Comedies start here and end here. And our life is not a comedy in a funny sense, but it truly is a divine, romantic comedy with a good ending. And so most of us are are not aware of the story of our life. We're not aware that a script has already been written that we are living out autobiographically. And so we're going to read Act 2 of the story of our lives, the romance that God has initiated with man, and there's ups. There's downs, there's surprises, there's setbacks, but there is an unending, never giving up, unstoppable heartbeat in God that will not stop short of total union with each one of us. So we're going to bring up Ellie. So go, go ahead and turn to your uh, act two. This is stage two, section two of Song of Songs. We're going to have Ellie read it to us. Feel free to follow along. Feel free to, feel free to close your eyes. The point is, we want to step in to the narrative world of Song of Songs and see it, taste it, smell it, experience it, and then I'm going to come up after Ellie and explain it. All right, so let's turn it over to Ellie. The voice of my beloved, now he comes, leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Now he stands behind our wall. He is looking through the windows. He is glancing through the lattice. My beloved responds and says to me, Rise up, my love, my beauty, and come away. For now the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree has ripened its figs, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth their fragrance. Rise up, my love, my beauty, and come away. My dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the covert of the precipice, let me see your countenance. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet, and your countenance is lovely. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, while our vineyards are in blossom. My beloved is mine, 
and I am his. Amen. He pastures his flock among the lilies until the day dawns and the shadows flee away. Turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of Bether. On my bed, night after night, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. I will rise now and go about in the city, in the streets and the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. The watchmen who go about in the city found me. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely have I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and would not let go until I brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her who conceived me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the hinds of the fields, not to rouse up or awaken my love until she pleases. All right, that is so good, so good, so good. So I know Song of Songs is, again, a new book for a lot of you guys. And one, one prayer that I have or, or hope or desire I have for each one of you guys is that throughout the readings and the sharings, you will uh, latch on to certain particular phrases that jump out to you by the Spirit's anointing and prompting and take those back to the Lord. So like from Josh's, there were some just epic, epic phrases and one-liners that um, would be great to incorporate into your prayer life with the Lord, your dialogue with the Lord. Draw me, Lord. Draw me. That's in, you know, that's in uh, stage one. Draw me. Sustain me with raisin cakes. You may not need to use raisin cakes every time, but, uh, you know, sustain me, Lord. Um, and, and likewise, in this section, um, the voice of my beloved, now he comes. Lord, come to me. Come to me tonight. Come to me in my spirit. Poetry is like this. It, it requires uh, musing upon, considering again and again, uh, you know, just, just um, over time, these, these loaded pregnant phrases open up, and what comes forth is the meaning, the significance, the feeling, and when you revisit it the next time, you know, you, you see it uh, more clearly what the story is and what the meaning is. So let me just back up real quick. Let's uh, make sure we're on outline two. Um, and before we actually go there, I want to read, you may have noticed there's an overview at the beginning of your packet. And this is helpful because, again, if you don't have interpretation, Song of Songs is a hard book. But once you begin to have a hermeneutic, an interpretive lens, a guide, you know, like a lot of us went up to Enchanted Rock uh, and climbed up to the top, without a guide, it's hard to find your way to the top. You know, and it's not that difficult without a guide, but, you know, if you're climbing Everest, right, you need a guide to lead you in. And, you know, same thing with your English class, right? You've done literary analysis, right? You did Tale of Two Cities or whatever you did. And you need an interpretive guide to lead you in. And the Bible itself prescribes this need to us in Acts chapter 8, a famous story. Uh, there's this Ethiopian official riding in a chariot, reading the book of Isaiah. So it's, you know, have you ever tried to read in a chariot, you know? Probably hard to, to focus. But the Spirit prompts Philip to run up b beside the chariot and have a conversation. And I love, I love this story because Philip asks him, do you really understand what you're reading? I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty amazing, I mean, that's a, 
I just love that question. Do you really get what you're reading? And the guy's answer is this. How could I unless someone guides me? And so this is the Bible's own prescription for interpretive guides for Holy Scripture. And this is for sure true with a book like Song of Songs. That's poetic. That's figurative. And so we gave you a guide. All right. So I want to read this to you guys. This is in the overview right at the beginning of the packet. Packet. This, is, this captures our approach to Song of Songs. Song of Songs is a story of the love between the wise King Solomon and the Shulamite, a girl of the countryside. So you got a king and a shepherdess, a countryside girl. It is a marvelous, vivid, and figurative portrait in poetic form of the bridal love between Christ as the bridegroom and his lovers as his bride. In their mutual enjoyment and union. This book is about our mutual enjoyment and union with Christ as our bridegroom. Isn't that awesome? Song of Songs stresses not the body of Christ corporately, but the believer in Christ individually. And this is what Josh focused on. And unveils the progressive experience of an individual believer's loving fellowship with Christ in various stages. So I know this is a loaded paragraph. The correspondence between the progression in the poem and the progression in the experience of Christ's lovers, a.k.a. you, is the intrinsic revelation of the Bible. Now listen to this. The stages of such a progression should be landmarks to us in the course of our pursuit of Christ. And you may have noticed the title of this whole weekend is landmarks of love every stage we're talking about we're only talking about stage one and two tonight but every stage in the book of song of songs there's six stages should be a landmark in our pursuit of christ it should be a turning point a stake in the ground a momentous time in our life where christ appears to us attracts us draws us becomes something new to us in an unprecedented way unprecedented way and in such a way that we are catapulted forward into our romantic relationship with Christ. Isn't that awesome? That's what the Song of Songs is, okay? Okay, so let's come to message two. We're on landmark number two, and that is responding to the Lord's call, okay? So you may have caught this in Ellie's reading, responding to the Lord's call. The main point of stage one, which was Josh's message, is this. This is the landmark, and this is the interpretation of the meaning of stage one. It is this. At some point in your Christian life, you will, be, uh, you will be not content with your present enjoyment of Christ. You won't be content with the, st- the state of your Christian life. You'll be dry. You'll be discouraged. You'll be dead. You'll be not interested. You'll be ready to uh, check out. You will be progressively moving backwards in the congregation row by row till you're out the back door. Stage one interrupts that. And somehow, mysteriously, the Lord begins to attract you, to draw you, like Josh said, indirectly by awakening your spiritual senses and putting within you an aspiration to a greater enjoyment of Christ, a deeper knowledge of Christ, a stronger and more constant pursuit of Christ. And so you begin to pray, Lord, draw me, revive me, come to me, do something. And the Lord does. And that is the landmark Number one in your Christian life, a revival, an interest, an excitement, a desire for deeper fellowship. And with that desire comes an entrance into the chambers 
of the Lord's palace, which is our human spirit. That is the divine residence. Did you know Christ is in you? <laughs> Did you catch that from the song? I mean, if you didn't, we may need to see it, sing it one more time. You know? It's like, hello, broken record, but a good, in a good way, right? Christ is in you. And Paul literally says that in one of those instances in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Do you not know that? Hello. It's like earth to church, you know? Christ is in you, you know? Heaven to church. I'm not only in heaven. That's part of the landmark of stage one. You discover the indwelling presence of Christ. Christ is not just a historical person who you are trying to please. He is a present living person within you, right? And then with that realization, there comes a question. Where is the flock? Where is the church? Where is the house of wine? And Jesus draws us progressively through a number of experiences into a realm, a house with corporate enjoyment. Isn't that awesome? That's stage one. Now, stage one in the narrative poem, she falls asleep in his embrace. The, uh, the female falls asleep in this house of wine. She, he, she says, your left hand is under my head. Your right hand embraces me. And then she falls asleep. And then there's been a time elapse, and then the curtain rises, and we're in stage two. Now, stage two is the second major landmark that you're going to have in your Christian life, and we're going to talk about what it is tonight. But it begins with a discrepancy. It begins with the Lord having disappeared. If you, if you caught that in the story, she is in a house enclosed, and he is up on the rock, leaping, dancing, skipping, and he is coming to her to call her out, call her out of her seclusion, out of her depression, out of her discouragement, out of her sense of absence of the Lord's presence. And responding to the Lord's call is what we're going to talk about tonight. We want to be those who know how to respond to the Lord's present call to us. And I would say this message has particular relevance Coming out of this last year and the pandemic, you know, who knows when the pandemic will be officially over, but whether it's over this month, next month, next year, intrinsically, we need to begin to have this experience, a call to come out of our depression, out of our languishing, out of our discouragement, not to activity, but to uh, a deeper union with the Lord with a refocus, a shift of centers from Christ for me to me for Christ. And you notice she doesn't answer the call. Did y'all catch that? She doesn't answer the call. And so she, so he, he leaves. And this happens to us in our experience. We don't respond to the Lord's call quickly, right? I mean, raise your hand and repeat after me. I am slow to responding to the Lord's call. <laughs> I mean, true statement or not. We, we, we drag our feet to the mud, we hedge, we, ask, you know, we line up the pros and cons, we negotiate, we rationalize, we project the future, we, and you know, we, we hedge our bets. And then in that re- lack of response, what we notice is, man, the Lord, where did he go? Where, where did my enjoyment of Christ go? I used to be in the banqueting house. Christ used to be embracing me. And now I feel so far from Christ. And did you catch in the narrative, the season changes. When he comes to her and calls her away, he says, it's been wintertime. It's been a cold, wet winter. 
that has secluded us within our house and separate, separated us from the presence of Christ. Did you catch that in the story? And so that's what we're talking about tonight. And we'll look at, look at that a little bit more, what that means. But that's what we're talking about, responding to the Lord's call. Okay? So that's kind of the scene. And what we need tonight is this. If you've got a pen, you want to write this down. We need to be called, empowered, encouraged, and delivered from the self. That is the problem in stage two. We need to be called, empowered, encouraged, and delivered from the self. The self. We're the problem. We need to get out of ourself and into a deeper union with Christ. And this is particularly true in a year like 2020, but this could be true in any year. 2020 is not unique to that. It's the trap of the abyss of the self. We get stuck. We get discouraged. We're looking in. We're measuring ourselves by where we used to be. We're measuring our present enjoyment of Christ by a previous enjoyment of Christ, and we get stuck. We get stuck, and we may get stuck for a long time in that. So we need to be called, empowered, encouraged, and delivered from the self. And the Lord's going to do this by three words. A demonstration, a manifestation, some of you guys know me too well, and a prescription. He is going to do a demonstration of resurrection power. That's the leaping. That's the skipping. The Lord wants to show himself to us in his transcendence, in his resurrection, in his ability to, you know, (laughs) the old Superman, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Jesus is that. He leaps out of death. He leaps over problems. And that Christ is in us. We're going to see that. That's a, a, a demonstration of resurrection power, a manifestation of the riches of resurrection. He says, look around. Look around. Winter's over. Springtime's here. Don't stay shut up and secluded in yourself. Get out. Come out. Come away. So he encourages us by manifesting the riches of his resurrected life that are available to us, and then he gives us a prescription. Get in the clefts of the rock. That's the way to crucify that introspective black hole self that prevents you from coming forward into a deeper enjoyment of Christ. So he prescribes the cross, okay? So that's kind of the overview. Now, last week, um, some of you guys may have seen this article in the New York Times, um, about languishing. Did anybody read that? This was one of the top commented ar- articles last week. Me and Josh read it and talked about it and enjoyed it. Did no one else see that? Man, you guys, you guys read the newspaper? Okay. You know, there's always free New York Times in the CBA. Y'all know that, right? In the atrium and in the bottom when you go past the statue right on the, on the right. So you get New York Times, you know, when you're, if you're ever back on campus in person. There's this article in the New York Times. This is what it was called. <laughs> this is a great, uh, I mean, somebody for sure, like under 21 named this article. There's a name for the blah you're feeling. <laughs> There's a name for the blah you're feeling. B-L-A-H, you know? I know you guys use that word. It's called languishing, all right? There's a name for, anybody feel some blah? Anybody feeling some blah last year? Uh, online classes, haven't you feeling some blah, right? The blah meter is, you know, peaking right now. So it's about languishing, and, and languishing is in the Bible, and languishing is what we're feeling right now, this kind of joylessness, aimlessness, 
uh, a sense of stagnation and emptiness. And listen to what they say. It's like muddling through your days at life through a foggy windshield. Like muddling through your days looking at life through a foggy windshield. Anybody feel like you've been looking through life at a foggy windshield? <laughs> I love that. So, um, so this, is, this is what a lot of us have been experiencing. The anguish of 2020 has become the languish of 2021, right? Last year was a lot of grief, intense fear, uh, you know, not, not sure what was going to happen to the pandemic. And probably for most of us in America now, it's just kind of, it's in blah mode, right? It's just languishing. Maybe we're not so scared or, or fearful, or we're just kind of in limbo, right? I know a lot of you guys are feeling that. So here's what the, uh, the dictionary de- defines languishing as, to become weak or feeble, losing strength or vigor, to exist or continue in miserable or disheartening conditions, major blah, to remain unattended or be neglected, to become downcast or pine away in longing. So this is what's going on in stage two of the Song of Songs. The lover depicting us has these feelings in, in being apart from Christ and languishing in the Christian life, wondering, what happened to the joy? Have you ever asked yourself that? You look in the mirror, you turn on the light, you wash your face, you're like, what happened to the enjoyment of Christ I used to have? Freshman year, what happened? The Lord is bringing you into stage two. So the Lord purposely withdraws his feelings, withdraws our feelings of his presence to force us to come out of ourselves. And that's what she says. I'm going to rise now and seek about the city. And she's at, where, where is he? Where is my beloved? Have you seen him? Have you seen him? She's seeking in the streets and in, in the open squares of a city at night for a female in this cultural context. That was risky to go alone out at night as a single woman looking for someone, right? But that's her desperation. Now, listen to how the article ends, and we're going to jump into the outline. I was like, man, who is writing these articles? Okay, so it goes, so what can we do about it? What can we do about languishing? A concept called flow may be an antidote, antidote to languishing. Have you heard of a concept called flow? <laughs> Listen to this. Flow is that elusive state of, of absorption in a meaningful challenge or a momentary bond where your sense of time, place, and self melts away. I was like, are they reading John 7? The sense of flow, Jesus says, out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And what we're going to talk about tonight, guys, is the flow of love, the flow of divine power transmitting from the resurrected, transcendent, problem-conquering Christ who is in you. There is a transmission within our spirit. There is a flow. There is a movement of resurrection life. Resurrection is not an event in the past for Jesus, merely. It's not merely an event in the future for us when we're dead and gone, as some old songs say. Resurrection is a present, progressive experience, a flow, a movement within us to cause us to rise up and come away, to come out of the winter and despondency of self and Make us desperate like this seeker to go find our lover again. Don't you want that? Don't you want to know the concept called flow? I mean, we got to go comment on this article, man. Let me tell you about the concept called flow that makes our sense of time, place, and self melt away. (laughs) 
Okay, let's go ahead and read our three Roman numerals, our three numbers here, just to get a sense of where we're going in this outline. Uh, let's read our one, two, and three. Ready, set, go. Seeing the resurrected and transcending Christ. Two, called to come out of our dormant and depressed situation. Three, Okay, so this is where we're going. Tasty? You ready? Is your app, the taste buds, uh, you know, scintillating on your tongue? Are you ready to take a bite? Okay, let's read Song of Songs 2, 8 through 9. We'll reread some of these passages. I'm just lifting up some of the, the crucial moments, and then we're going to connect it to with some, connect it to some corresponding New Testament verses. Because like Josh said, you interpret, as Jesus did, Old Testament with New Testament. And now one of the most classic uh, formulations that captures this dynamic is by a guy named Augustine. He dies in about 430 um, AD, early church father, a very important guy. You may have read the confessions, but he put it classically like this. The New Testament lies concealed in the Old Testament. Okay, The New Testament, you're reading the New Testament, right? Two halves, Old Testament, New Testament. The New Testament lies concealed in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament lies revealed in the New Testament. So I'm pairing these testaments together in your outline. You'll see Song of Songs, Indentation, New Testament verses. We're pairing them. When we're reading Song of Songs, I want you to be thinking, what New Testament reality is concealed here? And then when we read the New Testament verses, you'll see, ah, this is Old Testament revealed. Okay? That's how it's going to work. So let's go ahead and read Song of Songs 2, 8 and 9 all together. Ready, set, go. Okay, so I know you guys got the brisket in the belly, you know, digesting. I know you got sore legs from the mountain. Um, so, you know, I might, I might ask you to kind of, you know, may kind of work with you here. It's going to be interactive, right? So let's say the voice of my beloved. The voice of my beloved. Now say it like it's someone you love. The voice <laughs> of my beloved. All right, so the voice of my beloved. Now he comes. You see this? The Lord is intervening. There needs to be a now in our experience of languishing, of depression, of despondency, of despair, of the blah moments of 2020 extending, right? It's like month five, it's month, uh, you know, what do people say? It's like month 17 of 2020, right? 2020 never ended, right? Um, there needs to be a now moment. Now he comes. And we need to pray this tonight. Lord, come to me this week. May it be a now. The Lord is intervening. The Lord first is not saying, come over here. He is coming to us. He's intervening in our life. He's manifesting his presence afresh. He's concerned with love to call us out. The Lord wants to unstick us tonight, unstick us from 2020. And so the question is, in the, in the poetry, the, the, the lover, you know, who is a picture of Christ, is likened to a gazelle, a deer, a stag, you know, probably some of you guys have seen YouTube videos of those, like, you know, you've got these goats on these mountainsides. They've got these tiny, 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 tiny feet, right? And they're just, like, not even looking at the ground. They're just like, and, you know, like, they bite this little munch on this little grass, you know? I, just, I was watching this, you know, video just the other day. And it's like, this like they're designed for that, right? It's like they were designed or maybe evolved, but, you know, designed, evolved, you know, however it worked. It's like God had a hand in that so they could just leap and skip and dance across those, you know, almost near vertical slopes. Okay, so... What New Testament reality might 
be uh, a correspondence to this. Okay, well, let's read Ephesians 1. Now, it's a big chunk because I was like, man, I, I want to cut it lower and lower, but I was like, let's just read the whole thing. It's going to take like 15 seconds. So I left the whole thing. So let's read this. Ready, set, go. That you may know. Okay, so what we're saying tonight is the correspondence to the leaping, skipping, gazelle, and stag in the New Testament is the resurrected and transcendent Christ as seen in Ephesians 1. And you see here that Paul is praying that you may know. I cut off the verses right before this, but Paul says, he goes, I am praying without ceasing for you. Think about that. How would you like somebody in your church to write you a, a, a note, Lane, last year and go, Lane, I'm praying for you without ceasing. Would that touch you? And would you be like, what are you, what are you praying for? Like, I mean, like, you got a pretty big burden, right? It's not just like, Lord, remember Ashley, right? It's like, there's a burden that weighs on Paul's spirit. He goes, you go, hey, Paul, what are you praying about? He goes, I'm praying about one thing, that you would know something. You need to know something. You need to have a realization about Christ. And that he is resurrected. And that there is a power with that resurrection that is in operation. Again, resurrection is not just an event. There is an operation of resurrection. And Paul says you need to know it. You need to know it. What kind of power is it? It's a power that caused a person, a human being, a historical person with flesh, bones, bloods, DNA, mitochondria, you know, phalanges, whatever you got as a, as a, you know, homo sapien. A real death. Not, not a, you know, <laughs> anybody looking? You know, now come out. A real death. A death that was horrifying in its prospect the night before. Jesus was bleeding sweat drops of blood in horror of the upcoming crucifixion. A real death. A real death and someone has been raised from the dead. What kind of power is that? You know, death is the end of all possibilities. There's no, you know, there's no, uh, you know, like in the video games, you fall in the pit, and it's like, boop. And like, you know, you're just like, you know, a little bit further back on the screen, you keep going, you try to make the jump again, boop. Some of the guys know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> it's like you just pop back out of the abyss, and you're like, all right, let me try that again. Boop. <laughs> That's pretty fun to do, It'll wake you up. Um, death is the end of possibilities, and yet there is a power in this universe that can raise a person out of death. And he goes, and that's not all. There is a power that can seat a human being right by God's side. How much power do you need to get off the earth? How much power do you need to get out of the Milky Way? How much power do you need to get out of space and time and cause and effect and time sequence how much, how much power to be seated at God's right hand? How much power for all things? Think about something right now. Think about something right now. What do you think about? You know, only tell me if it's, you know, if it's PG. I couldn't think of anything. Well, you know what? It's under Christ's feet. Amen. 
There's a power that took everything and subjected it under Christ's feet. What kind of power is that? And there's a power that gave Christ to be head over all things to the church. That's the power. That's the gazelle in Song of Songs. And the question tonight is, do we know Christ like this? In stage two, the landmark begins with a revelation, an objective revelation, a shift from just a life of feelings, right? Feel good? Feeling it? Go to church, right? Feel good? Feeling good? Read the Bible. Not feeling good? A lot of blah? Big time out, right? On the Christian life. And maybe some of us have had a big time out, right? All last year. And And Paul is saying, you need to know something, that the Christian life is sourced in a fact, not a feeling. It is sourced in a fact that does not go up and down. Your feelings go up and down. The divine fact of the resurrected Christ is always up. (laughs) Definition of resurrection, right? You put it down underground in death, it pops up. And Paul is exhausting the language. He goes, the operation of the might, of his strength, of the surpassing greatness of his power. So there is such a power in this universe. And if we get a revelation of this kind of Christ, guess what? We'll get unstuck. We'll get unstuck. So we need to see it. We need a revelation. And this is the leaping. This is the leaping. He leaped out of death, right? He leaped off the earth. He leapt up into heaven. He leapt, to, he leaped into the right hand of the throne of God. He got out of it all. So again, Paul's praying. You would see it. You would see it. You would see it. Do you see it? If you see it, you'll believe it. We live by what we see. You know, maybe a prosecutor might tell a jury, you can believe your eyes. You can believe your eyes. You saw the video? You can believe your eyes. We live by what we see, right? We live by a realm of sight, tangible, concrete things, physical things. So we need to see something that's more true than the physical. If we see it, we'll believe it. And if we believe it, We'll receive it. Okay. So this is, this, is, um, this is point number one. Y'all got that? What's the gazelle? What's the gazelle in Song of Songs? What does it correspond to in the New Testament? Yeah, the resurrected Christ, right? I mean, point number one, right? Y'all saw point number one? The resurrected transcendent Christ. That is the gazelle. That's the leaping. And we need to know that. So we need to pray, Lord, may I know it. Lord, cause me to see it. Before this semester ends, Lord, cause me to see it. Okay? And that's what faith does. It links us. See, it says in here, it's toward us who believe. Y'all see that in line two? What is the surpassing greatness of his power? Toward us who believe. So again, that's flow. That's transmission. If you believe the power that operated in Christ to raise him from the dead will be toward you. It will be to you. It will be directed to you and you will begin to experience it. You will be linked to the resurrected, transcendent Christ. Okay, now let's go to our next verse, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Let's read it. Ready, set, go. All right, okay, just um, a few people in the crowd, if you you feel like everyone's getting sleepy, give me like, you know, a little like uh, auction, you know, thing. And I'll have you all stand up and read the next one. Just so we can like, you know, stay together. Okay, look at this. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Ephesians says the power is what? Is what? What, uh, what, what linking word? It's toward us. But 2 Corinthians 4, 7, you see what it says? What's the development? 
It's in us. The power is not just out there, you know, like, like you know, cosmic radiation just coming towards us. It's in us. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. And the treasure, if you look at the context of chapter 3 and 4 of 2 Corinthians, the treasure is the resurrected Christ of glory, who is the Spirit, who brings freedom. That is the treasure within us. Do we treasure the treasure? Do you treasure the fact that the resurrected Lord of glory is in your spirit, one with you? Do you treasure that? Do you value that? You know, treasure, historically, there's been, you know, certain British acts of parliament that have defined legally what is treasure. Treasure is, you know, considered an accumulation of wealth that was lost or forgotten until it was rediscovered. Have you lost or forgotten the resurrected Christ? We need to discover what is buried within us, right? And treasure it and make use of it. The treasure is in us. And I was just thinking, you know, that resurrected leaping gazelle is in us. Amen. The leaping is going on within us. When all you guys, man, I was just loving the singing. Weren't y'all enjoying that? Christ in you? Might need to sing that halfway through to get that energy back. Yeah, right. Everyone's like leaping up. That was the resurrected Lord leaping within your spirits. Sometimes we feel it. Sometimes we feel it. Sometimes we don't. Does that mean the leaping stopped? Does that mean the Lord is called the 22nd time out on resurrection? Pause. <laughs> pause on resurrection. Need to go do something, right? There's no pause of resurrection. So whether you feel the leaping or you don't feel the leaping, the Lord is constantly in resurrection. That is his state. And, you know, I was thinking about, like, you know, you guys have done, like, a potato sack race. Yes. Yes. Right? You're, like, in a, or like in a pillowca- pillowcase, probably not actually a potato sack. You're in a pillowcase, and, you know, you're, like, you got to do a race like that. You guys have done that? Yeah. I know. You, you're with me, bro. Of course. I'm an expert. Oh! We got a challenger up here. <laughs> um, that's what it's like. You leap from within, and you pull the whole thing up with you. So the Lord is in us, and when he leaps, he pulls us up. He's the treasure within us. Okay, let's go on. Let's go on. Point number two. Let's read Song of Songs 2, 10, 11. Ready, set, go. Rise up, my love. My beauty, and come away. For now the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. Okay, so there you see the winter, right? And the Lord's calling her. This is the call. Come out. Winter indicates dormancy, right? We had the winter storm in Austin, and everything got shut down, right? Everyone was trapped. Everyone was stuck. That's what happens in our poetic narrative. Winter comes, and she is secluded within a wall, and she loses the Lord. She's apart from the Lord, right? And so he's calling her. Now winter's over, so come out. Come away. And then the rain, the rain indicates the depressed situation, just kind of the, you know, the a rainy day, right? Okay, so this is the Lord's call to come out. And this is what the power in point one is for. Right? We're not talking about the power to do outward miracles. We're talking about the power to do the greatest miracle, which is to move you out of yourself into another. That takes resurrection power. That takes divine transcendent power to move you out of your mood, out of your depression, out of your recent failure, out of your whole life history, out of all your contingencies about the future, your hedging of your bets, and move you 
into the leaping Lord within you. Right? We have a leaping Lord, a skipping Savior, and the resurrection power is to bring us out. Right? I mentioned like the, the self is like a black hole, right? No one just walks out of the self. You don't just walk out. It's like escape velocity, right? You need a certain velocity, a certain power to break through the gravitational pull, the center of our being, to make everything about us, to make everything about how I'm feeling, to make everything about how I'm doing. And we're in church, and people are rejoicing and praising the Lord, and we're, we're, we're like outside looking in, right? Because of we're pulling that whole situation and swallowing it up. We're swallowing all the light and, you know, dragging it down into our own self. And so we need a power to come out of the self, right? We need a escape velocity as resurrection power. Okay, now you see here in the reading, you might remember um, in the text, it said he's looking behind our walls. Everybody say walls. walls. That's a tie, Sean Wilson. Everybody say walls. walls. Okay, so in the narrative, he is looking behind the wall. So this is, again, another problem. It's a barrier. So sometimes we feel walled off from the Lord, right? So he's leaping, he's skipping, and it's like it doesn't get through to us because we're walled off from him. And so this is the call. The Lord is a gentleman in the divine romance. He doesn't ever yank us out. He doesn't ever force us. He doesn't drag us out. Come on, you're coming out kicking and screaming whether you want to or not. He calls. He calls. And if we don't respond, he withdraws and forces us to rise up, right? We feel forced eventually, like, where did he go? And so we want to see in this point how to respond to the Lord's call. And the walls come in our experience. How do, bear, how do these, like, physical, you know, physical barriers, these, like, really insurmountable barriers form in our life? They form from winter experiences. And so what happens in winter is, you know, you look at, not, not these because these are like oak trees, but you've got these beautiful flourishing trees that lose all their leaves. And with the loss of fruit and leaves, all that's left about the tree is the gnarly bark and twisting branches. And that is what happens when the Lord brings us through winter experiences, trials, right? He strips us of our outward virtues and spiritual fruit and we're exposed. We see ourselves for ourselves. There's nothing new. It's just a new realization that we're this gnarly. We're this twisted. We're this barky. I don't know what, you know, where, where it would be. But we see ourselves without any external covering of grace. And we get discouraged, right, when we see that. But what the Lord is trying to do is redirect the flow of sap. You know, during winter, the tree exerts a lot of energy and sap to push out to the, the branches, to the leaves, and the fruit. All that takes supply. All that takes sap. During the winter, when all that's gone, there's no sap going out there. The sap is redirected to develop the root system. And this is true of our spiritual experience. When the Lord brings us through trials that strip us, expose us, uncover the self, and we see it, and we're like, whoa, I never knew I was that ugly, right? Spiritually speaking. What the Lord is doing is trying to go deeper in us, to go deeper in us, to redirect the life supply to our root system and to get us to him. That's how you develop your root system. You go to the Lord personally in prayer and cry out to him and the root hairs grow and press deeper into the soil to draw greater nutrients, right? And so actually winter time is simply a preparation for future growth. All of our winter experiences, our trials we go to where we feel stripped, 
Don't be discouraged, right? Get to the Lord, and that is the preparation for next spring's growth. But the only danger is it's easy to get stuck in perpetual winter. Even when winter's passed, right, we remember. We have the image, the haunting image, right, the gnarly, scary oak tree, you know, that we saw. And we're like, ugh. And we, we feel exposed. And we feel like it's not so, you know, we have a realization of ourselves. And we feel like I, I'm not so free. I can't just so lightly call on the Lord and praise the Lord with the saints because I feel like, ugh, right? More than blots, ugh. So that's the danger. That's the danger. But you have to understand the Lord takes us through that. There's seasons in the Christian life. And then he brings us into the spring. And he wants us to go deeper and then to come out and come away. So this is the Lord's love. This is the Lord's love to unstick us. And I love this, I love this line of this old hymn. It says this, one of my favorite lines. Um, it's an old hymn. Probably no one's ever sung it. But it's a beautiful, beautiful lyric. It says this, Far too well thy Savior loves thee to allow thy life to be one long, calm, unbroken summer, one unruffled, stormless sea. I'll say it again. Far too well thy Savior loves thee. This is the Lord's love. The Lord loves us so much, so well. Far too well thy Savior loves thee to allow your life to be one long, calm, unbroken summer. Isn't that actually what you really want in the Christian life? Just endless summer. That's an old surfer movie from the 60s. The endless summer. That's what we dream of, right? Just golden days, tannin, you know, no work, no school, right? Lemonade, right? Swimming in the pool. We want that spiritually. A long, calm, unbroken summer. Um, So he loves us too well to allow our life to be that. He loves us too well to allow our life to be that or to be one uh, uh, one unruffled stormless sea, right? We want smooth sailing. The Lord loves us too much to let us just have smooth sailing. sailing. So he brings in storms, winter, to go deeper in us, but then we need the power to come out of that when it's, the time is over, okay? So how do we get out? Let's read our next New Testament verse, Hebrews 12, 2. Ready, set, go. Looking away unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. All right, let's stand up and read that again. Hebrews 12, 2, ready, set, go. Looking away unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Now stay standing, look at your neighbor with a smile and a gleam in your eye and speak it to them and say it again. (laughs) All right, all right, all right, all right. Take a seat. (laughs) All right, I'm feeling the blood flow again. Okay, get this. How do you come away? You look away. How do you come away? You look away. How do you come away? You look away. Looking away is the precondition for coming away. It's the prereq. You go sign up for the class, coming away, and they're like, uh, did you take looking away yet? And you're like, sorry, sign up for looking away. Looking away 101, right? Then coming away 201. The prerequisite for coming away is looking away. Everyone shout that. Looking away. Okay, next week when you're feeling low, when you're feeling like winter somehow came back, remember this verse, one of the greatest verses to me in the Bible, Hebrews 12, 2. Looking away. And I love how it doesn't just say look away. Like, huh? Hmm. Huh? Hmm. Looking. Right? Present, continuous. 
whatever you call that in English grammar, perfect tense, I don't know. Looking, right? Keep it. Keep the gaze. When we look away, you know what we look at? We look at a resurrected, transcendent Christ. We look at a gazelle just galloping, leaping, skipping, unaware of the problems, right? You look at Mount Everest in your life, it looks insurmountable, right? Those mountains seem insurmountable. But what does Everest look like from the third heavens? It doesn't even register, right? Resurrection flattens your world. Resurrection changes your perspective. Resurrection turns mountains into ant piles. Can you leap over an ant pile? Yes. In resurrection, all Mount Everest-like problems get reduced, flattened, eliminated to, to, to ant piles. And I love this verse. There's this verse in Zechariah 4-7 when they're going to rebuild the temple and they're getting all this opposition and the Lord prophesies to this guy named Zerubbabel, right? Zerubbabel's here to pop your bubble, opposers, these anti-Israel agents who are camping around the, 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 the rebuilding work to oppose it. And I love this verse, Zechariah 4-7. The Lord says to this, he prophesies, he goes, Who are you, O mountain? He's talking about these, these antagonists, these enemies. He goes, Who are you, O mountain? Before, before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain. So, you know, we often think, I'm feeling that, wow, the wow group over here. We often think about the verse, oh, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you'll remove mountains. Okay, the Lord's like, I can also just not remove the mountain and just jump over it. That's what resurrection does. So sometimes the Lord doesn't remove the mountain. He leaves the mountain. He leaves the problem. He, he leaves what seems, seems insurmountable in your life. And he manifests something. He demonstrates something. You think I can dunk on a 10-foot goal? Let's go 15, baby. That, I mean, that, it's like, let's raise the rim. <laughs> let's raise the rim. Right? Lord, you know, he goes, I got a secret. I'm, what is that? I'm not left-handed, right? <laughs> From Princess Bride. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, you get a chess? All right, I'll give you my queen. I'll give you my, my rooks. I'll give you my bishops. I'll give you my knights. Just leave me a pawn, and I'll still win. You think you're going to think that guy's good after that? So sometimes, <laughs> sometimes the Lord does not want to remove the mountains. He wants to prove something to the mountains. Who are you, O mountain? I love that call out, man. I love that challenge. Who are you? Who are you, bad mood? Who are you, recent failure? Failure? Who are you? Self, sin, spiritual death, depression, discouragement? Who are you? Who do you think you are? I'm the resurrected Christ. I jump over you. I flatten you. I reduce you. When you look away, right? If we're looking at ourselves, that gnarly oak tree with no leaves, of course you're going to be discouraged. You look away to Jesus, of course you're going to be encouraged. Okay? So, oh man, so, 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 so good. So the question is, what are you looking at right now? What have you been looking at this week? What have you been looking at this semester? Your family? Family problems? Family drama? Your finances? Right? Ain't got much in the bank? Your, your failures? Your frustrations? Your future? Right? Seniors? What are you looking at? What are you looking at? You can look away. Right? Look away. That doesn't mean we're, <laughs> we're, uh, we're irresponsible. We don't plan for the future, but we don't fixate on the problems. We fixate on Christ. So awesome. And you see how it says here, 
He's the author and perfecter of our faith. We don't even have the ability within ourselves to generate our own faith. So Jesus says, no worries. I got a pen and I can write. And let me just author some faith in your being. Let me just perfect some faith. And remember in the first point, the power is toward us who believe. So you need faith. But we have no believing ability in ourselves. But praise the Lord, the resurrected Christ is also a great writer. If we look at him, he will inscribe faith in our being. All right, real quick, let's go on to last, last point number three. Let's read three all together again. Applying the cross to our introspective self. Song of Songs 2, 14 through 15. Ready, set, go. Yeah, vineyards. <laughs> vineyards. So, okay, so this is, this is the, uh, the, the prescription, right? We got the, the demonstration of the power, the manifestation of the riches of resurrection life. Now the Lord has a prescription for us. You look away. You, you want to come away. You want to get out of the self, out of your mood, out of that. And the, remember, again, the reason is to, to begin to cooperate for Christ's move. And that would be stage three, which we're not covering this weekend of Song of Songs. But it's a shift from Christ for me, I just need Christ, I need Christ for me to feel better, to enjoy. The Lord wants to shift from Christ for me to me for Christ. But to be for Christ and to be a participant in his move and a pillar supporting his move in stage three, you got to get out of a self-centered life. And here's the prescription. Get in the clefts of the rock. And number two, catch the foxes. Basically, this in the New Testament applies to the cross. So let's read our next two New Testament verses. Matthew 16, 24. Ready, set, go. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So there it is. Deny himself and take up the cross. Now, this is not about suffering, right? Sometimes we think about the cross like, oh, like I can't do anything anymore with all the fun stuff and I'm suffering, right? Or, or if you think if you're just suffering in general because of some situation, you're like, man, I'm really bare on the cross these days. Oh, no. Okay, the cross is not about suffering. The cross is about death. Release from suffering. Release from suffering. That's what the cross is. Release from that self-centered life, that pity party that never ends, right? That you bought all the presents, right? For, and you baked your own cake for. The cross crosses out our self-analysis, our introspection, our despair, our inability to rise up. That's what needs to be crossed out. Not you and your personality. The Lord wants that. The Lord wants to be magnified through that. Okay, let's read Philippians 3.10. Ready, set, go. Resurrection and the being to his death. Yeah, shorten that. Sure. Isaac's on point over here. Shorten that. So to know him and the power of his resurrection. So again, that's what we want to know. And again, a, a contingency for that or a requirement is to be conformed to his death. So as the Lord crosses out that self within us, he brings us into resurrection. And yet the paradox is even to cross out that self, we need the power of resurrection. So the power of resurrection empowers us to be one with the Lord and deny ourselves and come into a greater enjoyment and union with him. And that's what those foxes are. Those foxes in the poetry is those pesky agents, right, running in the vineyards and undermining the growth. 
They're eating the vineyards, right? They're stealthy, they're sneaky, and there's something loose within our being, running around, undermining our enjoyment, undermining our, our following the Lord, undermining our experience of Christ. That's our self. And so the Lord calls us to catch it. He says, you have to catch this. And we catch it by the cross. So that's stage two, guys. Song of songs. I hope you enjoy that. And again, the whole point, there's a lot of poetry, a lot of interpretation. The basic takeaway is we want to be people who are responding, responding to the Lord's call. And to do that, we need a vision. We need an objective vision of the power of the Lord's resurrection. We need to see him. Remember, if you see it, you believe it, you receive it. And then we need to hear the call to be empowered, to come away, realize winter's over. The Lord did what he wanted to do through that trial, and now he's manifesting the riches of his resurrection life to encourage us, to motivate us to come out. We come away by looking away, and as we do that, as we touch resurrection power by looking away into Jesus, all of that is transfused into us, and the, the cross is spontaneously applied. We're not suffering. We're released from suffering. The Lord always hides the cross in the spirit. As the, uh, the words of a, a famous song, spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. You don't even taste the cross. You just taste the enjoyment of the spirit. But in that all-inclusive compound spirit is hiding something to cross out the very frustrating factor to your further enjoyment of Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's all say, thank you, Lord.